And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Batter up! Welcome to No Bunts, the podcast for the casual baseball fan here on the Athletic Baseball Show. I'm Tass Mellis, here in Atlanta, with me in studio, it's super producer, JD. Hello. What's up, JD? And my co-host all season long from Taiwan, it's Joel McMillan. Joel, how are you? Bass, I'm uh, doing well. We've got some rain the past couple of days, long overdue here, so I'm in good spirits. What stadium background are you showing us, Joel? No rain there. Tass, Tass, I'm embarrassed you're asking. You should know it. It's about 30 minutes from where you were born. It's the X? It is Exhibition Stadium, buddy, yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah, that's. it looks like it, right, JD? But, yeah. you know, you know, it, it it's, does. It's, this is a pre-renovation X like there's nothing in left field they, they put some stands in left field right? yeah but it's anyway. weird to see people in it actually because every time I was at exhibition <laughs> stadium uh, there was me and a couple other guys that's it all right Joel I'm it's, not uh, yeah, go it's ahead a beauty. yeah it's a beauty I'm not embarrassed at all not embarrassed <laughs> at all uh we're trying to trying to pretend that we're young here on this show so try and pretend like that. <laughs> anyway uh coming up on this show we'll tell you what side 500 teams you should believe in we'll also discuss a new maneuver teams could use to find some young prospects out there but first I want everyone to get to know someone who burst onto the scene this week Ellie de la Cruz ridiculously exciting ba- baseball player with the Cincinnati Reds, uh, his first week in the majors, this prospect has produced. He's wowed. The stuff of lore in just eight games for this guy. He's just fun. He's 21 years old, a switch hitting infielder for the Cincinnati Reds, plays third and short. He's big. He's 6'5", 200 pounds, but he could even be bigger than that. Anyways, he's a true five-tool player. He's fast, very mm-hmm. fast. He's got a strong arm. Very strong. He's got range. He can hit for average and for raw power. Wait till you hear the stats and the stories from week one to back all that up. Actually, Reds great Eric Davis said Dela Cruz has six tools because he's a switch hitter. And he was called up to the Reds on June 6th. Before I tell you how he was discovered and everything he's done this week, Joel, what did you know of Ellie Dela Cruz before he was called up? Well, I knew he was a highly rated prospect test. He jumped really high last year. He was a top 100 prospect going into the 2022 season, I believe. And he just had an absolutely monster year. He jumped from double A to triple A fairly quickly. Uh, Yeah, he hit 28 home runs and had 47 stolen bases. That really put his stock up quite a bit. So I knew he had a lot of hype. Uh, coming into his debut. Uh, But beyond that, I didn't really know much about him. Uh, I did a bit of reading on him uh, to get ready for this. And he actually left home, Taz, at the age of six to have better access to tournaments and facilities in his native Dominican Republic. So, 
you know, that's quite uh, amazing. I mean, six years old and, and he left home to start his baseball career. So uh, fantastic story, just an injection of life into that team. And he's been on the national news. And yeah, Tess, I mean, it's only been eight games, but I kind of feel like he's must-see TV almost already at this point. Absolutely. I watched game eight yesterday and I'm going to watch game nine uh, today because it has been ridiculously exciting. I'm going to go through his background and, and what he uh, what he accomplished in the minors and what he's accomplished through these eight games. Shout out to MLB.com and C. Trent Rosecrans of The Athletic for all the juicy stuff I'm going to get into. Background story, Dela Cruz grew up in Monte Plata, Dominican Republic, as you said there. He was 16 in 2018 when a scout discovered him accidentally, according to Dela Cruz. That summer, a red scout went to the Dominican Republic to check out another shortstop, but it was Dela Cruz that caught his eye. The next day, that scout came back and said, actually, we want to sign you. This, again, according to Dela Cruz. So July 2nd, 2018, scout Richard Jimenez signed Dela Cruz for just $65,000, far below the big money sums often given to shortstop prospects in the Dominican Republic. He was thin back then, and Dela Cruz realized he had to get stronger after his play in an informal league called the Tricky League. Yeah, that's the name of it. He said, quote, I could barely hit the ball past the infield. I had one home run. So he was yeah, 16 back then. The next year, 2019, at just 17 years of age, he spent his first pro season in the Dominican Summer League. And then in 2020, because the minor league baseball season was canceled due to the pandemic, uh, he grew a lot. That year off allowed him to get stronger. He would have been in the U.S. then for 2020, uh, but because the season was canceled, he stayed uh, in the Dominican Republic. The 2021 season was his first year, so just two years ago, playing in the U.S., and it was a good year. At 19, he was then listed at 6'2", 150 pounds, so three inches shorter and 50 pounds lighter than he is now. He said, quote, Full of confidence, this guy. When I got here in extended spring training, I realized I was the best. Yeah. Uh, and that's a I theme, that's a theme uh, of this guy as, as we get into uh, his minor league career and his major league career. Uh, he, he started in the Arizona Complex League in 2021, moved up to low A ball. Great start, 296, 874 OPS across rookie ball in Class A. For a first year stateside, pretty good. And then in year two, he grew a ton. So this is 22. This is just last year, 20 years old, listed at what he's currently listed at, 6'5", 200. He's probably Oof. bigger than that uh, by by some accounts. You can see he's he's extremely tall. He wears 44. I love that. And the season started great uh, last year. He's blasting home runs. He was playing on high A Dayton, where he was about two and a half years younger than the average player as a 20-year-old. He was named to play in the All-Star Futures game the prospect showcase at All-Star Weekend. The day he was named to the game, he had a great day. He had two home runs in a game, one from either side of the plate. Second game of the doubleheader, homered again. This one from the right side. First multi-homer day in the U.S., three jacks in one day. And I uh, just wanted to note, the two homers from the right side were big because his left-handed side is his stronger side. He had three homers uh, from the right and 15 from the left at that point last year in 2022. He moved up to double-A later in the year. His first homer... In double A, boom! It was five hundred and twelve feet. It was, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was huge, and that also is a theme. As we'll get to, he was playing for the Chattanooga Lookouts, taking on the Rocket City Trash Pandas. <laughs> also, just wanted to mention those names because uh, they are super fun here in uh, 
in neighboring states here from where I am here in Georgia. In 121 games last year, Joel, you mentioned those numbers. 28 homers, 86 ribbies, 47 steals. All the tools. <clears throat> Excuse me. 3 304 batting average, 359 on base percentage and 586 slugging. Although he had 158 K, something he's working on. Uh, that's over 30% of his uh playoff appearances. Then he played in the Dominican Winter League. He played 150 games in 2022, and then he started this season in AAA Louisville. Joel, any questions to this point as I've uh, rambled on here through uh, some of his minor league play? No, I mean, he's really dominated at, at every level he's been in tasks. You you know, you did a great job highlighting his accomplishments. And he's moved through the system pretty quick, too. You know, like he just signed as an international free agent a couple of years ago. And like you said, like he was, I think you said, two and a half years younger than his peers. So, you know, that's a, just a testament to the to the talent that he is. And, you know, he's an exciting player. And Tass, he... You know, it's only been eight games. It's a small sample size, but he certainly doesn't look out of place, you know, playing on the major league roster, that's for sure. Yeah, in AAA this year, he was phenomenal through 38 games. 1031 OPS. I never know, Joel, if if I should say 1031 or 1031. Anyways, whenever you get over that number, it's a it's a heck of a number. And he was he was over that through his six six first six major league games, and then he's dropped back out of the last couple of days that we'll get to. But on June sixth, because he was kicking ass and Nick Senzel was injured, he was called up as a 21 year old. He debuted on June sixth, 2013. He batted cleanup, started at third base. The game was at home in Cincinnati. Thousands more seats were sold, uh, according to Rosecrans of The Athletic, roughly 6,000 more than a typical Tuesday. The place was rocking the first time he walked to the plate, got a standing O from the crowd. He got down 1-2, and this may not be the sexiest plate appearance, but he fought back to earn a walk against Tony Gonsolin of the Dodgers, which is a great sign uh, for a young player. He was on second base. With the bases loaded after that walk, he scored on a single and he nearly caught up to the speedy Matt McLean in front of him. Again, a theme with this guy because he's so damn fast. Second plate appearance. Got down 0-2 against Gonsolin again. Th- Gonsolin threw a fastball up and in. He had the bat speed to whip the bat around and put it off the wall. He thought about a triple, uh, but he'd saved that for the next day. Pulled up with a double. The double had an exit velocity of 112 miles per hour. 112 miles per hour, the hardest hit ball of any Reds player this season. Then he walked again. Very, very promising as he's trying to work on that walk-to-strikeout walk ratio. Then he grounded out. Even the ground outs are exciting, Joel. The ground out was the second hardest hit ball of the game, 108.7 miles per hour. Then he struck out looking at a perfect sweeper on the corner. Even that. You know, he's kind of showing patience. The problem with him is he swings at everything out of the zone, but he's shown mm-hmm. a lot of patience, walking a lot through his first eight games. Uh, the Reds came back on the Dodgers. McLean had a walk-off single to win it for the Reds. Uh, De La Cruz was doused with so many liquids in, in the clubhouse. He had to shower three times, apparently, to get it all off. He was one for three with Ooh. a run scored and two walks uh, in his debut. Joel, any thoughts on just his uh, his debut that game? Tuesday, June 6th. Oh, Tass, that was, that was, I feel, the series of, of the week. All three of those games were pretty exciting. The Dodgers kind of, you know, 
won a bit of a laugher in the third game, but those first two games tasks where, uh, you know, he made his debut and then where he hit the home run in his second game, like that crowd was just electric. Uh, you know, that's a game in June and it just felt like it was so much more than just a June game. He absolutely smoked that pitch, the reaction from the announcers and the crowd, like it was just a very kind of surreal moment. Um, and Taz, since he's come up, you know, just to kind of build up when you said he's slashing 296, 406, and uh, 519. And Taz, he's 21 years old as a rookie. That's unbelievable. He's got three extra base hits in his first game, including a triple, a double, and a home run. And he's got four stolen bases. And Taz, like he just, he just, like I said earlier, he just puts a bunch of life into that team. He just completely changes the dynamic. And I don't think anybody expected anything from Cincinnati, but you know, they're floating around 500 tests. They're in the NL central. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs by any means, but with a guy like him and with the foundation they have, I mean, anything's possible, but he just makes that lineup look completely different. Yeah. Let's get to that second game because it was a mash <laughs> the, the, mm-hmm. his first at bat. So we're talking June 7th here. He's starting at shortstop. He nearly hit it out of great American ballpark. His first at bat, he hit it so hard to right field. It landed in the last row, section 142, row seven, seat 21 off Noah Syndergaard, a 458 foot blast. Yeah. The call uh, by the Reds broadcaster was that ball had a family. And yeah. uh, it was it was hit so hard. It had an exit velocity of 114.8 miles per hour, the hardest hit ball by a member of the Reds this year, topping himself, his own double from the night before. The ball just flies off his bat. So a huge home run. In game number two, next at bat, he ripped it to the wall. And this is where his triple comes in and his speed comes in. It took him 10.83 seconds to get to third, the fastest anyone has done it in baseball this season. Uh, crazy crazy little stats here, 30.9 feet per second, the fastest uh, by a red this year when you get into the stat cast. The stat cast loves him. They call the Cincinnati Reds the red legs. There's going to be some sort of integration with those legs, how fast he is around the bases. Uh, yeah, those long, long, long strides. So homer and a triple and a double the day before, through two games, three for seven, and two walks uh, as Cincinnati's cleanup hitter. And the Reds came back to beat the Dodgers again. And this time uh, it was Will Benson hitting his first career home run to give the Reds an 8-6 victory. The vibes are changing around this team, obviously. Uh, so we'll jump to, to Saturday a, a couple games later because there's so many stories here from just eight games. Dela Cruz was on first on Saturday, June 10th. Uh, Jonathan India on second. So there's a ball hit to the wall. And Dela Cruz took off. At, on the crack of the bat, India came in to score easily from second, but he saw his teammate, Tyler Stevenson, on the on-deck circle telling him to slide, or he thought he was telling him to slide. India thought, what the hell, I'm, I'm scoring from second here on a ball that just went to the wall. But he was actually signaling De La Cruz to slide because he was right on India's heels, right behind him. I love these. I love these stories. Was he right on his heels? Okay, no. But uh, it was it was a little bit of a mix up as India came in to score. He thought, "Whoa, why am I getting the signal to slide?" But it was for Dela Cruz right behind him, and uh, an easy score from first on a double to center field. After the game, Dela Cruz said in English, 
I am the fastest man in the world. <laughs> and he is in the 100th percentile for MLB sprint speed, according to a baseball savant. He also had his second steal in two attempts in the game. Joel, thoughts on uh, Dela Cruz saying he is the fastest man in the world. We're usually, he usually speaks through an interpreter, although his English is pretty good. He, he, he switches back and forth. What are your thoughts on him saying that in English, proclaiming that just uh, a few games into his MLB career? No, Tass, he can, he can say it in any language he wants. <laughs> I mean, he's the real deal. Um, like you said, his sprint speed, I believe there's only seven players that have uh, sprints, sprint speeds similar to him this season. He's just unbelievable on the base pass, whether you're watching him hit or whether he gets on base. I feel he's always going to be a threat to steal. Um, I like the bravado and, and two tests. The reason I like it is also, I don't feel like he's showing anyone up with this. You don't really hear guys talk about their speed in baseball a lot, but I kind of like the bold proclamation. And I don't think he's saying, Oh, I'm the best hitter. I'm the best player. He's not making any bold proclamations like that. He's just simply saying, I think I'm the fastest player in the world. I think I'm the fastest player in the league. Uh, and you know, so far he absolutely looks like he is. So more of it, please. Tess, I kind of get like a, a Randy, a Rosarina, Dion Sanders vibe uh from this guy. He just he's just excitement. He's got all that jewelry on. He's very confident in himself, obviously very talented. That's kind of the vibes I'm getting from him. Yeah, uh, Dave Roberts, Dodgers manager, actually compared him to Deion Sanders. Uh, and, oh, okay. and uh, yeah, so I can I can see that. And obviously the speed uh, being a huge part of that. So let's jump to uh, Sunday, June 11th here. Game six of his eight-game career. He had an impressive at-bat versus Adam Wainwright. Down 1-2, he fouled off a couple pitches. Then Wainwright put a curveball right on the outer edge like he has forever. And Dela Cruz tattooed it. He hit it so hard. He didn't bloop it into left, which he could have, you know, go on oppo. He hit it really hard. It would have been a successful hit if it was a bloop. You know, a good piece of hitting, some would say. Uh, I stole that line from Rosecrans of the Athletic. That, that, that would make sense. But this ball was measured at 109.4 off his bat, the hardest hit ball of the game. He was even kind of on his front foot, but he, he, he kept his weight back long enough. He keeps... Uh, coverage of the entire plate because he's so big. And that was really, really impressive to me. The eighth inning, getting back to the speed, he's on third representing the go-ahead run. So the infield was drawn in. And this guy just loves being aggressive on the base pass. A pretty conventional ground ball to short. Shortstop's going to go home and get him out. But he took off on contact, and he beat the throw to the plate reaching a sprint speed of 29 feet per second, whatever that means. It's just really, really fast. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, and would a perfect throw have beat him? Uh, maybe, uh, but you know he gets his teammates going. He loves being uh, ultra-aggressive uh, on the base pass, and so he uh, slid under the, the potential tag there from Contreras. He went two for three with two walks, game number six here, one RBI, a stolen base, and two runs scored. And uh, he had hit safely in his first six major league games before being hitless uh, on Monday, which was another extra innings win for Cincinnati, who are hot. And then his his final game, we'll get to uh, yesterday, Tuesday, June 13th, game number eight. His first at-bat watching this game was fun. He walked, then he stole second, and the throw went into shallow right. He advanced to third, and he rounded third because he was thinking of going home. He's always thinking of taking the extra base. Uh, He said this week, 
I just know that whenever they're not going to pitch to me, because they kind of pitched around him that, that at bat, that gives me an opportunity to contribute when I'm on base. He's just ready. He's five for five in steal attempts in his eight major league games so far, and his speed, even when he just puts the ball in play, has a chance of beating it out uh, as he did twice this week on infield hits. Seeing him ground into a double play yesterday was actually kind of surprising. I thought, oh, he's going to beat this out, but he is human. Uh, so uh, he, he also showed his rocket arm from shortstop yesterday, turning a double play, commentators on, on, on both sides, marveling just at his throw. I mean, it was a standard double play, but he, the, the arm on that guy, it was the, he's also had the fastest throw by an infielder in big league in the big leagues this year. I don't know. I don't know how they can really um, measure that, but it was measured 96.6 miles per hour. So overall his stats through eight games, uh, we, we have slightly differing stats. I don't know. He's at, he's, his slash line, 267, 389, and 467. They've come down uh, a little bit again. He was over 1,000 uh, on base plus slugging, but his hitting balls hard, 118.8 miles per hour. That, that A double he hit earlier in the season in the minors has been the hardest hit ball in either the majors or AAA this season. And uh, pretty promising is that his walk to K ratio, 6 to 14 through 36 plate appearances, he's showing some decent plate discipline for a rook. So, man, a lot of tools. And the Reds, let's get to them. They're 6-2 and two since he was called up. This is a sub-500 team currently, Joel, but you mentioned that they're in the NL Central. Do they have a positive outlook for the season? Is there a chance that they can slip into the postseason? Yes, that's a good question. I mean, right now they're playing with house money. You know, like I said earlier, there no one really expected anything out of the Reds. I, I mean, I thought they were going to be competitive, but this was kind of, you know, they're graduating prospects. Going into the season task, they had six top 100 prospects. They've graduated a couple of those to the big leagues. Uh, you know, like you said, they're six and two. They're, they're you know, creeping around 500. So they have a good foundation in there. They've got a late bloomer in TJ Friedel. You know, they've got Matt McClain. You know, they've got like a lot of good young pieces, Jonathan India. I don't know if this year is going to be their year uh, just because I don't think ultimately they have the pitching. Their pitching's not great, uh, but they definitely have a foundation in task. I think as, as early as next year, like they could make a serious case to uh, either win the division or at least make a run for the sixth uh, sixth seed uh, in the NL. So this year, I don't know. Um, I'm not going to rule it out, but I, I don't think I'd put money on it. But there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Cincinnati Reds baseball fan. They've got a lot of good, young, exciting players. But we'll see. I mean, the NL Central is just so wide open. Right, yeah. And the red legs are using those legs. They kind of remind me of the Guardians of last year. They don't do it with the long ball. Uh, but they steal a lot of bases. They've stolen more bases than they did all of last year. And uh, they they definitely pride themselves on that. I saw Rosecrans of The Athletics say they have a daily base running meeting, which is uh, very <laughs> rare <laughs> in Major League Baseball. But they're fun to get behind. I, I just said that De La Cruz, five stolen bases just through eight games, which would be a you know, ridiculous pace uh, if he was playing the entire season. So he's he's got to be on the field along with a bunch of other shortstop prospects that they have. They just have to move people around. Jonathan India uh, playing second now. He was the rookie of the year two years ago. Rookie Matt McLean, who's the NL player of the week in April, also plays short. They're going to switch off uh, him and, and Dela Cruz on the left side of the infield. Spencer Steer, the NL rookie of the month in May. 
they haven't called everybody up. You said they, they have called some. They've got Encarnacion Strand, Christian Encarnacion Strand in the minors. They're selling tickets. They are absolutely fun to watch. They need to upgrade their pitching, as you said. They're pretty low in, in payroll at $82.9 million and 26th in the league, so they could do that. And I wanted to give you this last note before we move on to some other teams that are promising in our next segment. It's non-Ellie news. The Reds had a signing this week in the amateur market, agreeing to a reported $1.2 million deal with Taiwanese shortstop Shang N. Lin. So that one's for you in Taiwan, Joel. Uh, big, oh, nice. Big money uh, for a, uh, a shortstop prospect, Shang N. Lin. So keep an eye on that, Joel. Uh, I know, we'll do. I, know uh, I will be watching the Cincinnati Reds team you know, throughout the rest of the season. But I want you to tell me sub-500 teams that we should be watching the rest of the season. Joel, we'll do that right after a quick break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to No Bunts. We're about 60-plus games into the Major League Baseball season. We just talked about the Reds as turning it around, having a actually a legitimate chance in the NL Central. But I want to talk about some other sub-500 teams that you believe in, Joel, specifically teams that can turn it around, make some playoff noise. Let's start in the AL. Which sub-500 AL team do you see turning it around, Joel? Das, I've got two teams from the American League. I'm going to start with the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, Tass, I picked the Guardians to win the division going into the season. They won it last year, kind of unexpectedly. I think teams thought, or I think most people expected the White Sox would win, but they underperformed. Uh, so I still have a lot of faith in Cleveland. Tass, with Cleveland, it's really simple. They have no offense at all outside <laughs> of Jose Ramirez and Stephen Kwan, kind of. Like, that offense is bad. They've got uh, Ahmed Rosario and Miles Straw, two everyday players who are pretty much automatic outs and black holes offensively. So that's not a good look. But, Tass, the good news for Cleveland is they've got excellent pitching, and when you've got excellent pitching, you're always going to at least have a puncher's chance. I expect this offense to get better, Tass, but not much better. Like, Cleveland's a team clearly built on their pitching. Uh, But, you know, again, they benefit – and this seems to be a reoccurring theme, but they just kind of benefit by being in the AL Central. It's not overly competitive. It's kind of like hot potato, I feel, you know, with with that division. So I have a lot of faith in Cleveland to turn things around. They're a couple games under 500, but I, I like their chances still. Yeah, their offense, as you said, uh, Jose Ramirez had a three-homer game recently. I love Stephen Kwan's reaction 
to watching him hit three dingers uh, from the bench. I hear you. They're a team I can get behind, though, because they are exciting. As as I mentioned, we were talking about the Cincinnati Rens. Yeah, they don't do it with offense. They got to play small ball, and so that kind of mm-hmm. makes them uh, a different, unique team uh, to watch. But who's another team in the AL that you you got a little faith in despite their start? I'm going to go with Seattle Mariners, Tass, and I know we talked about this before. Technically, the Mariners are not under 500. They got there last night with their win, but when yeah. I was writing this, they were, so <laughs> it changes. we're going to talk about the Mariners. It changes inning to inning, Joel. I was, I was, it wa- changes inning to inning. I was watch- right. I was watching the game, and I was thinking, are we going to talk about this team? They, uh, getting a W here, beating Miami. I was, I was kind of hoping they were going to lose, to be quite honest, just so they were sub-500 for this segment. But anyway... Uh, you, you maybe it was just because you had faith in them. They they're going to turn it around, and and they already started because they're five hundred now. They are, yeah, they are five hundred. And Tess, Seattle's kind of weird because their offense is good. Their offense has kind of been touch and go, but like overall, if you look at Seattle's offensive numbers, they've been good. And Tess, their starting pitching is one of the best in the league. It's top three in the in the league. Uh, and their bullpen is also top three in the league. So you'd think that they would be more than a 500 team. I just think they've just want, you know, they've just kind of had a, a slow start. Julio Rodriguez got off to a really, really bad start. He's turned it on a lot. Um, the thing is, though, Tass is the Mariners play in a competitive division all of a sudden. The Angels look like they're going to kind of be in it this season. Houston, Texas is the real deal. Tass, the Mariners currently sit fourth in the AL West. They've got a good team. I, th- I think they're going to pass Anaheim at some point. I do think they're going to make the playoffs, but Tass, the American League is just so competitive as a whole because then you've got the American League East and, you know, five teams. I mean, even Boston has a similar record to Seattle as well. I think Seattle's the better team, but it's going to be very, very competitive for Seattle, you know, with the division they play in and all the other teams kind of bunched in there, but they definitely have the talent to do it. And them getting a sixth seed, I don't think is, is out of the question at this point. Joel, I told you we weren't going to date ourselves. As I said, off the top about exhibition stadium, then you go and call the angels Anaheim. You can't call them that anymore. It's not allowed. Oh, what are they? The Los Angeles angels yeah. of Anaheim? Or, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I'm I actually, sorry. No, that's totally fine. Uh, I also, <laughs> I'm also slightly old, so I call them Anaheim as well. But it is a huge glut for the Mariners to get through. They've you know got to get through those Anaheim slash Los Angeles slash California Angels, and they got the Blue Jays as well uh, above them, and they've got, as you said, a ridiculously uh, tough division there because the Rangers ain't going anywhere. The Strohs are the Strohs, uh, so it, it ain't mm-hmm. going to be easy. Let's go to the NL, though. Swinging it over, what NL teams do you believe in? Tass, three NL teams, but I kind of have a bit of remorse with my first one. I'm going to pick the Mets, mm-hmm. um, but Tass, my big, gosh. Big they market. Just look You're abs- going- Why are you starting with a huge market, Joel? I thought we were going to have uh, some, some small market. I like market New York. I, I like the city of New York. It's just, <laughs> it's a nice little town. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Mets just can't be this bad for this long. Like there's, there's just too much talent on this team. They just seem, I don't know how to describe what the Mets are doing. They just don't seem, uh, I, I don't want to say they're disinterested, but they just don't look like a professional baseball team right now. When the hitting's great, the pitching's bad. 
uh, you know, or vice versa. They've just, they've lost, I think, three or four series in a row now. They got, you know, swept last week by Atlanta. But task the NL, the, the silver lining for the Mets is there's still enough time to turn it around. They have enough talent on that team. They've got veteran players. Uh, the NL is just, there's opportunities to, to make the playoffs. Outside of the Dodgers and the Braves, I think those two teams are locks. But really, like, beyond that, you know, I feel like it's pretty wide open. So I'm still going to believe in the Mets. I, that might come back to bite me, but there's just too much talent on that team. And I think that they're going to make the playoffs. But Tass, like, they, they need to start doing it now. Like, they're below 500, and we're almost halfway through the season. So they got to get it going right now. But I still, I still believe in the Mets. There are so many teams in the NL that are in it. Uh, virtually every team uh, you can make a case for. So uh, who are you swinging it over to now? Because th- you said you had three sub-500 yeah. teams that you believe in. Going to stay in the NL East, Tass. I'm going to go with the Phillies. Um, Tass, of the three NL This is going to be teams, a glut. This is going to be a huge glut here. Well, you know, it's the NL East is, is, a, is a tough division too. Right. Um, you know, defending National League champions, they were missing Harper. Trey Turner got off to a really bad start. But they've come on as of late. I want to see that team healthy, I think. And their offense is just so good. I know on paper right now their offense doesn't look that great, but I don't think that's sustainable. Uh, I think that team just starts hitting combined with their excellent starting pitching. They're going to, you know, I think they're just going to go on a huge run in the second half at some point. So I like Philly's chances the most. And then Tass, the third team, and I know we've talked about them a couple times before, uh, I'm still going to stick with the Padres. I'm I'm not scared. I'm not going down. I'm not turning my back. Again, similar to the Mets, just too much talent on that team. And Tass, they are hitting 201 with runners in scoring position, the Padres. there, There's no way mathematically that that team can do that over 162 games. Like, I just refuse to believe it. Um, mm. I think San Diego is definitely going to be in play for a playoff spot. But the division, like Tass, Arizona's legit too. And they got to get over the Dodgers. So I still believe in San Diego. But again, like it's going to be a bit of a dogfight for them too. You say it's not mathematically possible, but I'd like to see them try. I do want to, <laughs> I, uh, I want to see some, uh, some small markets get in. You, you picked a couple teams that have spent so much on talent in, in the Mets and the Padres. Uh, but as I said, Everybody is still in it in the National League. So this is sort of a a generic question. Is it just because of the expanded playoffs that teams have a shot? They all have a shot? Is is that the case in the NL, or is there another reason for there being a lot of parity in the National League right now? Well, Tess, that's that's definitely, I would say, probably the single biggest contributing factor at this point. But Tess, just for a bit of context, I just want to – you know, tell you this here. We've got 15 teams right now who are 500 or better, seven teams that are five games or fewer under 500, and then eight teams that are five games or more under 500. So to me, like, that's a very, very competitive league. Obviously, the addition of the extra playoff spot is going to help. But, Tass, I think there's more to it than just that as well. I think teams saw what Philadelphia did last year. They were a low seed, win on a run. Like, kind of all you've got to do is get to the playoffs. And then 
it's anyone's game kind of. And so I think that incentivized more teams this season to, you know, be a bit more aggressive with their plans, maybe spend more money, bring guys up, you know, uh, and things like that. So I think that definitely had an effect on it as well, Tass. And also too, Tass, like in recent years, a lot of teams have been tanking um, similar to what like the Cubs and Astros did a long time ago to collect their picks and, and build those teams. And Tass, some of those teams have actually graduated some of those players, Baltimore, uh, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Cincinnati are perfect examples of this task where, you know, they took their lumps. They didn't really feel that competitive of a team. They went with young players, you know, or cheap players. And now, you know, we're starting to see some of those teams bear fruit. And so that also is another reason why you're seeing a lot more parity. And then Tass, another reason too is just, like Texas and San Diego, uh, and I know San Diego's scuffling a bit, but they just bought teams, basically. They just went out and, and spent a lot of money. So there's more parity, but it's it's a bit more complex than just saying, like, it's it's the addition of the playoff spot because I think it's it's more than that. There's several different factors, but it's great to see for the league task because as a fan, this was a constant complaint that you heard uh, of fans from teams that you know just said we're not like we're not going to watch this team we're not going to follow this team if they're just going to tank and not be competitive so this is great to see so much more parity in the league you're right it's definitely a, a complaint for for fans and i think the expanded playoffs has definitely helped teams have the idea the possibility the hope that they can make the postseason uh, as you mentioned going through those numbers a lot of teams within striking distance of 500, depending on the division, uh, the NL Central and the AL Central still have hope of, of winning the division as well. So, yeah, there are some a couple teams that are out of it. You know, the sad case of the Oakland A's, uh, the KC Royals. Other than that, I mean, the, the, the Nets and the NL East, yeah, not going to happen. The Rockies, not going to happen. Uh, but other than that, yeah, you got a, a lot of... A lot of hope for a lot of these ball clubs. And uh, I heard Keith Law uh, say this on the Athletic Baseball Show, that there will be expansion. There will be another couple teams that enter the league at some point. It'll be 32 teams. Um, and that'll, that will probably create even more parity uh, because they'll probably expand to four team divisions. And it will go eight by four. Uh, basically identical to the NFL here in America to to, to copy mm-hmm. that model and to, to keep everybody engaged uh, later on in the season. But here we are, and uh, yeah, most most fan bases definitely have a lot to hope for. All right, Joel, thank you for taking us through that. That was fun. Uh, we got to take a quick break, but after it, a little love for a move by the Padres uh, that you noticed. We'll be right back. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date, first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. Welcome back to No Butts. Joel, you went into this little news story on our Instagram account, and I wanted to get a little bit more from you today because the Padres have signed teen prospect, 17 year old Ethan Salas. They allocated virtually all of their international pool play money on him, and typically teams splash their money around on, our, on a few prospects. So, Tell us about this maneuver. Is this maneuver by the Padres of going all in on one international player something that teams will do more of, or is this an outlier? Uh, Tess, we're going to find out if Ethan Salas pans out. Um, just to add a little bit of context to this, Tess, I just want to quickly kind of explain how the uh, international signings work. So basically, there's a window of time each year where MLB teams have a chance to sign these international players. And each team is allocated $4.75 million. Now, this, uh, the six to eight lowest markets, uh, like in terms of population and revenue, they get additional picks. And I believe, Tess, they, they get a bit more money. I'm not entirely certain because it was a bit complicated, but... Basically, the smaller market teams have an advantage. Now, Tess, like you said, typically most of the time, these teams kind of spread that money out over several players, obviously giving the most money to what they feel uh, is the highest rated prospect. And Tess, also too, I believe it just started this year, but teams can actually trade up to 60% of their international pool money, like in trades and transactions like that. So that's another little caveat. Now, as it pertains to Ethan Salas, he's kind of an outlier so far in that San Diego basically blew all of their money uh, on one player. So we're not going to know for a couple years, Tass, but if Salas does pan out, 
this I feel could be something that teams might exploit. This might kind of be the next loophole or, you know, the next thing that teams figure out how to take an advantage, take advantage of, especially small market teams, because Tass, the way it's positioned right now is that smaller market teams actually have the advantage, which is pretty clever because they can't compete with the big clubs in unrestricted free agency. So, you know, the international market kind of gives them a lifeline and gives them some different options to secure younger talent. So it'll be interesting to see, Tass. I personally think that teams are going to figure out ways to exploit this. And Tass, you know, like if Salas pans out, we might see teams just kind of foregoing you know, splashing it on, you know, a few players and basically going all in on one. But that remains to be seen. The caveat that you mentioned there, the ability to trade some of this pool play money. Do you see that also leveling the playing field for some small market teams as in, okay, we're going to give, hey, the Mets, you, you need a reliever at the deadline. We'll give you him, but we need some pool play money to be able to take another swing at a, a prospect. Is that a possibility? Oh, Tass, absolutely. And I, I fully expect small market teams to do that because, you know, they can leverage that and, and use that to their advantage. I think that's much more valuable, even though it might be like 25,000 Tass or 50,000 of pool money. That's chump change. But like in the grand scheme of things, Tass, like these kids that they're approaching, you know, if, if you sit down and you give you offer a kid six, like a, a 16 year old 4 million 5 million dollars i don't particularly think he's going to care if it comes from the dodgers or the pittsburgh pirates he's just you know he knows that at least he's going to have some generational wealth probably if he takes this deal and he's probably going to take the highest money deal so it's absolutely an advantage task for these small market teams to kind of you know, get as much of this international pool money as they can because it absolutely gives them a, a bigger advantage, you know, against the big clubs in this international free agent market. Hey, Ali De La Cruz signed for 65K uh, initially, and uh, things have turned out well. Ethan Salas is, is a very interesting one and uh, not quite the tools of Ali De La Cruz, but you outlined it on our Instagram account, no underscore bunts, pretty well, and he's his looks... Uh, promising as you know a, a lot of these young prospects do i've always wondered about this international pool play money and how it works so you've done a fantastic job of explaining it joel one more question does this all happen in a certain window a certain time period of the season of the calendar of the baseball calendar where they the money is offered it yeah tess it does i'm i i'm not in, entirely sure when the window is i believe it's sometime in the summer uh i, I don't know how long that period uh, extends for uh i could be wrong but yeah there is a certain period but tess most of these deals are are worked out well well in advance like the clubs obviously forge a strong relationship uh you know with some of these players you know international players so yeah uh but Tess like I just want to come back to what you said about you know Dela Cruz I mean that kind of that shows how complex this is because Tess like to me like a draft pick is almost a lottery ticket like some lottery tickets are better maybe they're more of a sure thing but in essence they're a lottery ticket and Ellie De La Cruz you said $65,000 the Reds might hit the absolute jackpot on that 
And then you've got a guy like Salas, who the Padres spent over $5 million on, and maybe they hit the jackpot on him too, but they just go about it in very different ways. So that kind of shows the complexity and just, you know, kind of how unpredictable, you know, drafts can be. And it'll be really interesting to see, like, will teams, you know, go the traditional route and, you know, kind of, you know, spread that money over several players or are teams going to be more aggressive and think, man, this kid's only 16, but we think he's the real deal. We're going to put all of our money into him. It'll be interesting to see how it how it plays out. It just adds a different dynamic to roster construction. The only sure thing I know of is that we'll be watching the All-Star Futures game the Saturday of All-Star Weekend together, whether it's virtually or not. Okay, is that an invitation to ask when you come stateside? <laughs> You don't need an invitation to come stateside. Uh, you come on over whenever you want. This is also your stateside. We accept every everyone. Um, okay. In my country, I'll bring the almonds. I'll bring. I'll bring the almonds, Sass. <laughs> jo- jo- Joel has made fun of me because I was. Uh, I was. He was asking what snack I was eating. JD once, and I. I, I showed him a bag of Trader Joe almonds, which are not almonds, as no. we know them. They're covered. With this candy coating, the sugary, buttery goodness, they're damn good. So that's a snack. What, it, what is it covered in? Like yogurt or? No, it's like a sugary, oh. uh, it's got like a candy shell on oh, the Oh, I outside. know that stuff you're talking about. Yeah, but uh, inside, it's like a butter, it's buttery goodness yeah. and then a little bit of a hard shell. It's, it's a nut inside. You have some great stuff in there. So, yeah, uh, sweet, salty. You sweet, got it salty. all. Bang bang! What's the problem with that, Joel? I don't. Yeah, understand. what's the problem? He was. He... I wasn't. Yeah, Tess. I wasn't making fun. No, I wasn't making fun. I just said, "What are you having for a snack?" And you took a photo. I was like, "You okay, said." Well, I your, accept that. your quote was, "You would." Like I'm Mr. Health. Yeah, that's not making Mr. fun. Health I'm like, you're you're pretty you're a pretty healthy guy. I've seen photos of you jogging on Instagram, and you know you're looking good. You know your your body's your temple, Tess. So I applaud the uh, almonds. Although with everything you just described, what? that totally negates any health value. Oh yeah, they're not healthy the at almond. all. Okay. Oh yeah. I'll really... still bring almonds. I'll still bring almonds. Please do. Yeah, <laughs> healthy ones because we need them. Uh, actually, the cashews, the cashew ones at Trader Joe's are even better. The, uh, the non-healthy. Get out of here. Just cashews. really quick, hot take before we finish: pistachio best nut. I won't be responding to comments. <laughs> I mean, I, I won't. Kind of agree with you. Uh, Joel, you're you're a tough nut to crack. That's for sure, my man. Uh, all right, uh, you can find Joel's work at our Instagram page, no underscore bunts, along with this show every Wednesday on the Athletic Baseball Show on YouTube, eight fifteen Eastern. Not for Joel. Uh, well, eight fifteen p.m. for him, eight fifteen a.m. Eastern for us. You can stream live with us every Wednesday morning, or. Get it wherever you pod afterwards, theathletic.com slash baseball show or theathletic.com slash no dunks for an incredible deal on The Athletic, writing the best sports writing in the world. For JD, for Joel, we'll see you next week, Wednesday, June 21st.